You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Montecito, California. Before I get started, I'm going to remind you once more, there's an event coming up in Dallas. It is the next Wealth Formula Meetup. We're going to talk about personal finance. But we're also going to talk about longevity and lifespan and all kinds of cool stuff. And you should check it out by going to Wealth Formula events.com. Now, today's show is really interesting. Okay, I, I, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of excited. And we've been, you know, talking a lot of sort of uh, macroeconomics and that kind of thing. And it, sometimes, you know, it's nice to bring it home and make it a little bit more exciting again. So let's start with this question. Now, let me ask you this. Have you heard of this financial independence retire early movement? They call it the FIRE movement. Well, the movement is defined by extreme frugality and then extreme savings and investments and in hopes of retiring early and living on small withdrawals of accumulated funds, right? So the general rule of thumb is to live only on about 30% of your income and invest the rest. So say you make $300,000 per year and you're in a tax bracket of, you know, 40%. You know, you'd be living on about $54,000 per year. That's less than $5,000 per month per year after taxes in hopes of retiring a few years earlier. Now, you certainly could not do that where I live. I'm sure there's places, uh, you know, in in the country where you could, but I don't know that there's a place in the country where you could and have much fun, you know. So with these people, there's no special, there's nothing special about the way they're investing. They tend to be very conservative in terms of traditional ETFs and, you know, hope that the markets will keep going up and then they can retire a little bit earlier by and then live on three, three to 4% withdrawals for life at some point. So what's particularly interesting to me about this movement, and so physicians have gotten really into this because of uh, some of the financial folks in that space, and uh, it's kind of ridiculous, though I, I find they, they have become militant uh, fire people, and they often mock other physicians with nice cars, nice homes, and I gotta just tell you, it's so weird to me. It is so weird. Like, what kind of age do we live in where, you know, physicians mock other physicians for driving Teslas and things like that that I hear about. It's kind of nuts. So anyway, fire. Should you consider this lifestyle? Well, personally, I would not. It doesn't sound like a lot of fun. And frankly, the militant fire people don't sound like much fun either. So I don't think I'll be hanging out with them anytime soon. But what's funny is, to be clear, you know, I actually invest probably about 70% of my income per year. And, but that's because I make a lot more money than I need uh, to have fun. And it's not because I'm not having fun. But in reality, I think that that's kind of what people ought to be striving for is, is making sure you have fun that, and, and, and living somewhat balanced. Uh, not to deprive yourself of Starbucks in hopes of living in an austere retirement. That doesn't sound like much fun, does it? So Anyway, bottom line is, so if you're in a position where you're not quite financially where you want to be, say you can't invest 70% or 60% of what you make and, and, and still be able to have, you know, a lot of extra money, can you still enjoy some of the finer things in life? And I would argue, yes, you absolutely can. Okay, so buying a nice home in an area that will always appreciate is really an investment over the long term. What else? Well, 
One of my good friends only buys expensive vintage furniture for his home. Is that a waste? Well, actually, he bought some five years ago. That's gone up significantly in that period of time. And this is the same friend of mine who's made a killing on buying and selling vintage cars and really cool stuff, you know, like Ferrari Dinos and things like that, gull wings. My friend, the same friend that I'm talking about who's local, has really helped me to understand this concept of living and enjoying the fine things in life today and actually profiting from them. So it's really quite genius. Bottom line is that if you can enjoy something really nice and effectively, not lose money over time, you're winning. And in many cases, you're going to end up making money and you can never do that by buying a Kia furniture. You can never do that by buying like a shitty little car. You just can't do that, right? It's just not going to work. You're buying something and it will depreciate to nothing. So I've been talking about, you know, Dinos and Gull Wings, you know, really expensive stuff. But can you do the same if you don't have that kind of money? Can you buy cars and watches you want and potentially make some money or at least not lose it? Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is uh, PJ Gadini. Now, PJ, uh, I have to tell you, um, I just find this really fascinating. And he's basically made an entire business platform on the concept of, you know, buying things that you can enjoy today and actually not losing money. And if you think about this, this is not only a fun way to live, I think, but it's it's also like actually you're going to end up saving money in the long term because you're not going to end up just buying stuff that goes to you know, that, that makes you lose 70% of its value over, uh, over just a few years. Anyway, that, uh, that is who we have on the show today. And this is a great conversation that we will have for you right after these messages. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is PJ Gadini. He is a self-made entrepreneur, philosopher, author, and creator of the Wealth Transfer Methodology. I was particularly taken by uh, PJ's businesses that he's created around essentially enjoying your life now, being able to buy things you want, and essentially either make money or not lose money, which is, I think, a really, really fascinating concept and one that people should really consider. Specifically, uh, he has a few different platforms called Secret Honorage. Exotic Har Hacks and Watch Trading Academy. PJ, welcome to Wealth Formula Podcast. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, man. So how did you, you know, give us a little bit of background because, you know, I think this is this is something that actually that I've only recently, you know, this concept of sort of living and enjoying the things that you want and feeling like, okay, you're, you can do this by not it not just being an expense on your balance sheet that it can actually be an asset. Where, where did you get this from? I mean, is this always something you, the way you've always thought or, or what? No, I mean, think about it. Like, I mean, isn't that the whole purpose of buying a home, right? We get to yeah. enjoy like, our home. We live in it. And then when we go to sell it and we want to upgrade to something, there's some result out of that ownership, even though it wasn't intended. It was like, hey, I just bought a house because I really liked right. it. And why? Wow, it went up like a million dollars or 500 grand, That's whatever right. it is where mm-hmm. you live, right? So you're able to basically increase not only your net worth, but also just do what you were going to do anyways. So I share a, a huge background in finance where mm-hmm. uh, I grew up. Most of my younger years were spent uh, as a VP for a bank. And then when I got fired from that job, I had a passion for cars, watches, art, and the finer things in life. And I grew up really poor. So those things were 
not in the books for me very early on with my life, but I had to save up a lot of money to buy cars, you know, like everybody else. And as I started losing money time and time again on cars, I got tired of it. And so when I got fired from banking, I decided, I said, you know what? There's three key things that I learned in banking that were really big. And it's that banks are ahead of the game. They basically look at trends. They look at human behavior. They look at leverage. And then they kind of look at like values of things because they do a lot of lending. So I started looking at these, you know, algorithms and ways that banks thought. And I said, well, why couldn't a person kind of duplicate this in their own life, kind of predicting people's behaviors, algorithms and things like that. And then as a result of that, create a model, you know, for their own life. And I thought maybe obviously it's going to be on a much smaller scale than a, a bank, which does in on billions of dollars uh, daily. Sure. But I said, it's got to be possible. And then I said, well, we're already doing this with our homes. We just don't realize it. Like, right. so it, it, there's got to be like, is there a reason why we couldn't do this with cars, watches or art? And, and I started to realize there was one key correlation between all of these assets like cars, watches, art and homes. And it's that no matter if you look at it on a short term basis, there's always this valuation difference of supply and demand. So supply and demand is constantly changing the game. But if you look at it on a long-term basis, like 10, 20 years, then historically real estate has always been on the up. So like you look at a short-term, you go, oh, we're looking at 2005 to 2008, where you had a peak, you had a low, you had whatever. But if you look at it over 20 years, you're like, well, real estate is a sure bet, no matter yeah. what you buy, you yeah. buy an apartment, buy a house, doesn't matter. And it always comes down to the idea that population will always increase above the supply of goods, right? Like it yeah. just makes sense. Yeah. So I decided to look at that in the same sphere that I looked at cars and watches. I said, well, these companies do a really good job at keeping their supply limited. Like Lamborghini doesn't want tens of thousands of cars out. That's why for a long duration of time, they used to only make 2000 cars. So they were like, and, and I started thinking to myself, say, aren't people going to get wealthier? Isn't that a byproduct of generally speaking, like each and every industry continuously increases it like its output. So people, there's more millionaires today than there were a thousand years ago and so on and so forth. Right. And so I started kind of putting this, this framework together and I started realizing that as long as these exclusive places create scarce levels of supply, then demand will because population will increase, demand will naturally go up. There will yeah. be more demand for higher end homes that are like nicer rather than apartment buildings, because those will be more rentals in the future because people will be poorer. So I just started thinking about that. And I started putting an algorithm together that built my next business in 2005, which was at the time called VIP motoring today, that business evolved into one-off investments, which was investing in exotic cars, watches and art and doing it with people. And so I created that business and from 2005 to 2010, I kind of, that's what, you know, my, my biggest business was, it was a huge investment for, and I basically cater to bringing in investments, not for banking, like back in the day, but rather this time for cars, watches and art. And in 2008, I kind of looked at the future because there was the downturn and everything we're going to. And I kind of said, well, you know what, this is a cool business and we're going to keep doing it. It's going to make a lot of money, but what would be even cooler would be give people the opportunity to do this at home themselves. Yeah. So, so just to be clear, your first business was essentially, you know, a syndication business where you're collecting fine art or cars, mm -hmm. things that are going to appreciate you yeah. store them, but no one really gets an opportunity to, you know, enjoy them per se. They're, it's exactly. like anything else. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Sounds good.
And my, and you see what, what was happening, like what gave me an indicator that people wanted to enjoy these things, not just buy them and make money with them was that I had the same clients come to me and go, Hey, I know we're putting our money together and we're buying this $2 million car and hopefully it's going to go up. Right. But a lot of times they were also saying, well, what if I want a personal Ferrari? Like, can I just, can you help me buy one? Like, how do I know I'm buying it at the right dollar? Am I going to lose money? What's going to happen? So I started getting more and more of these requests. So our our entire company also had a division, which was brokering and, and helping people basically acquire these assets to use which at that point was no longer an investment, but it was, hey, you'll lose less money because we're doing it the right way and you'll be better off. And so I realized that there's such demand for this that I was like starting to teach online at the time. In 2008, I started Seeker Entourage, which is an online platform uh, around business. And then I said, you know what? Since I learned now how to basically sell information online, I'm going to start teaching people how to do this car stuff and watch stuff independently of each other. And just, if they want to learn about watches, they'll take one. If they want to learn about cars, they'll do the other, but anyone can basically play this game. It doesn't really matter as long as they understand that you need some level of credit or cash and that you understand that you want an exotic car. You're not forced to buy one. So it's not really looking at it as an investment. It's looking at it as an opportunity to basically enjoy the things you want in life without losing money, which was essentially what I had been doing personally. Uh, since I was like 19 years old. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting because uh, one of the, the one of my friends locally here in Montecito um, kind of introduced me to this concept broadly. Um, he uh, he was a guy who like bought, he just kept buying like the, the, you know, the cool cars that he wanted. They happened to be, you know, he had like a goal, he had a couple of gull wings, he had a Dino and all that. And he drove them, he had a great time and then he sold them for massive profit. And I was like, that's a great idea. But then I sort of dug down to like other parts of his life and like literally the furniture in his house, right? The furniture is all like vintage stuff. It's not, mm-hmm. it's, you know, like he's paying more for it mm-hmm. now with the idea that he's not going to lose money on this. He might even mm-hmm. make money on this. Uh, and it's, it's just, it's a concept that actually when people hear about it, they're like, well, that's just, you know, that sounds like something if, you know, you got to be pretty rich for it. So why don't you address that? Can somebody who makes two, $300,000 a year do this kind of thing? And in, is it, is it difficult? So it, it, what you just said right there is a, is a very real thing, which is it's called basically the storage of wealth. It, it's consumerism is starting to lose its glamour for people. People are like, I don't want to be a consumer of a product anymore. They're tired of buying a Ferrari, losing 50K a year driving it. They're tired of buying shit that's basically worth nothing after six months. And and they're starting to realize that the more you tap into consumerism, the more money you have to make to basically piss it away. So they're, they're starting to look at everything from a layer of investment. But even becoming an investor, a lot of times young kids want to become investors when they have no money. You, you can't be an investor if you have no money to invest. That's so basically, right. either you have to create the bank leverage to take that money, or you're basically making enough money to have excess money to invest in order to make more money. Now, can someone with two, 300K a year or a physician or something play, mm-hmm. right? Like a normal person yeah. that doesn't yeah. have yeah. like millions of dollars saved up and so on and so forth. Sure. Absolutely. But you can play at a much smaller scale, yeah. which means that you, you can't go buy a $2 million car and be like, oh, I'm just going to start here because I, I just have 300K and that's what I can buy things I can't afford. But that, and that's interesting because the platform is called Exotic Car Hacks. But in reality, it's about not just, you know, 
uh, Lamborghinis and things, but it's really about cars that are just desirable cars. So they can be at multiple different levels, right? hundred percent. We have luxury car hacks that focuses on BMWs and Mercedes cars and Cadillacs that are your day-to-day drivers. You're going to put a lot of miles on. We have exotic car hacks that focuses heavily on exotic badges like Maserati, Ferrari, Lamborghini, Aston Martin. And most people think those cars, they go, that's 200 grand. That's 300 grand for a car. That's crazy. I mean, these cars can be bought as cheap as 30 grand. You know, there's some Aston Martins you can buy for $45,000. I would argue it's actually really funny. Sometimes you'll see in the street, people praise a guy for driving a Lamborghini that's like 12 years old. And that car is like $80,000, but they don't praise the other guy that's driving a $250,000 Range Rover because they don't know what kind of Range Rover (laughs) it is. So they they don't have that perspective because they don't know cars enough. And they go, well, Lamborghini is automatically more expensive than Range Rover. This lack of knowledge about the depreciation cycles of things means that they look at everything for its face value. In their mind, Lamborghini is what they saw at the dealership yesterday. And Mm -hmm. that car was $380,000. And that's very expensive for a person. And and they think in their conventional mindset and go, well, if I put that in a loan calculator, that means I'd have to pay $6,000 a month. Well, that's crazy for a car. But my argument would be this. What if I told you you could buy, let's say a very fair Ferrari 458, something that a lot of people would love to have. You could buy that car for 200 grand, drive it for two years and sell it for 210 grand. Now, with inflation, that's basically saying you you either broke even or lost some money, whatever. But what it really means is that you were able to drive this car for two years and enjoy it without really having a cost, a heavy cost of burden of loss by having it. Now, what if I told you that to insure that car is probably less than $600 every six months, which is insanely cheap, not what people expect. People think Ferrari very expensive insurance. And what if I also told you that it's very unlikely that it will ever break down if you follow st- specific step-by-step guide I have on how to do that. Now, the n- three things that scare people, depreciation, high cost of insurance, high cost of repairs. Now, here comes the next argument. Well, I still have to pay 3000 a month for the car. Well, if you get a loan and you can't afford to pay cash, sure. But what if I told you out of that $3,000, $2,600 of that money was basically being parked in the car, no different than a savings account. And the extra 400 was the interest, which was your cost of not being able to pay for it cash or choosing to use the money elsewhere if there was more value in using the 200K elsewhere. So if you look at it that way, then your real cost of ownership would be that $400 across the two years you carried the interest on that. And even your insurance would actually be null because you would pay insurance on a car anyways, I would argue. You would have a car, you have to pay insurance. There's no way to get around that if you pay low insurance. But the point is that Ferrari or Lamborghini insurance is not necessarily more expensive than normal car insurance. It's just that people don't know how to behave. So they go to Geico and they go, I bought a Lamborghini, can I add it to my insurance? And it's like, well, sure, it's $5,000 a year. Like, oh my God, it was a thousand before. So conventional thinking, is what is basically polluting people's minds that these things are unattainable. But today, in today's industry, in today's world, there is more exotic cars on the road than ever before. And today's Lamborghini, like base Lamborghini, is yesterday's luxurious BMW because money has risen and meaning like what it costs to own things has risen. Like imagine if you were a millionaire 20 years ago, you were rich. If you're a millionaire today, you're not that rich. Like that's not a lot of buying power. You know, you can't say I have a million dollars and I'm like, wow, dude, you know, we should all praise you what you do for your living. You know, like it doesn't really matter anymore. But in the old days it did. 
And so what I'm arguing is that today's 300K car is no different than yesterday's 20 years ago's like 50K car. It was a luxury then that was unattainable for most. And now it's a luxury that seems unattainable for most. But if you learn how to bridge that gap, you realize that it doesn't have to cost more than your regular $50,000 a year car to have something that you've always wanted that you thought you'd have to work 10 years for. So um, what kinds of things do you teach within, you know, the say, let's just take the exotic car hacks uh, forum. I mean, are there... Um, there are proprietary ideas in terms of, you know, how to predict, uh, um, you know, the, uh, the, the car's value over time and, you know, when to buy that kind of thing. 100%, of yeah. course. And how do you, how do you get that stuff, PJ? I mean, how do you, where are you, I mean, is it just, are you modeling it out somehow? What is the. Well, I've modeled know? it for 20 years. I've been doing yeah. it for such a long time. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Sure. Like that I, like, so here's the difference between where my data comes from and when a normal person's data comes from. Uh -huh. You see, a normal person may enter this game and say, hey, I kind of get what he's doing. I'm going to figure it out on my own, right? Yeah. And they basically look at today's exotic cars, and they would have to look at the next 10 years of exotic cars to mimic my data, to basically be like, what is the baseline today and where are we going? I'm lucky enough that when I started doing this back in the early 2000s, we didn't have that many exotic cars. Yeah. So the models didn't involve hundreds of cars, 50 different variation of every car, 12 different models here and that, and all the year generations in between. So I grew up modeling this with a limited number of cars that was very easy to model and then expanded as new models came on the market. A lot of people wouldn't be able to model that today because they would have to deal with so many models and variations over so long to get a graph on like, is this model trending up? Is this model going down? Is this likely? What options are desirable? Which options are historic for the last 10 years? Which ones are not? But all of that knowledge is basically what I've documented since the early 2000s, because I used to do this for like investors. And then right. I did it for myself as I got richer uh, yeah. to my own car collection today. Sure. But the, the main thing that I, I try to share with people is that all this knowledge uh, and has an actual pattern to it. And these two patterns are called my wealth transfer methodology, as well as my bottom cash value methodology to know what the bottom dollar is that something is worth based on what it is, its year, mileage, et cetera. And being able to understand that anything above that purchase price is your risk exposure. Anything below that is literally guaranteed cash. Mm. So it, it's almost like saying, if you looked at the wholesale value of your home and you said, if I was going to go to one of these trashy places that says we buy your home for any dollar, which would be a low bottom of the low ball number that you would get, what would that number be? What if you could predict that number for every car on the market? Sure. And if you have my algorithm, you can do that. So then it helps you then make a decision on, instead of saying, can I afford a 200K car? You ask yourself, can I afford a 200K car? But really, can I afford to lose $7,000 this year? Yeah. And if the answer is yes, then you might say, well, 7K is not that scary. 200K might be a scary loss, yeah. but 7K is... <clears throat> Yeah, Doesn't right, really right exactly. It's a cost of, you know, having some fun too. Uh, exactly. You know, tell me, I'm curious, because you also deal with watches and, and I've recently started uh, buying some uh, some watches myself. And I, I again, it's the same type of thing, right? Like I, I'm buying some Rolexes that I know are not going to go down in value and, and that kind of thing. But you have a platform where, again, it, how similar or different is that conceptually from what you're doing with cars? So the way I look at cars as an asset class is a wealth preservation asset class, mm -hmm. like where basically 
You're buying the right cars at first because you're going to buy them anyways and you're going to lose your ass. Instead, you're doing it the right way. You're not losing. Then you get more money and you go into and buying cars for collection purposes that are going to increase in value. And this is going to create some kind of income in the long term. But this is not a year in, year out, flip, flip in. We're not flipping cars. We're just investing in cars, holding cars and enjoying it while making money. I call it a wealth preservation strategy, yeah. not a wealth creation strategy. On the watch side, the volume, the liquidity, the mobility of money in the watch game is significantly more than cars. It has no paperwork trail. You don't have titles. You don't have to change uh, uh, membership names or anything on the on the paperwork as you exchange hands, etc. So you basically are buying a watch and this watch trades hands over time. Its secondary value based on the scarcity of supply is significantly more, depending on the right watch or the wrong watch, significantly more than what it would be brand new. This There's two ways to play the watch game. Either you play it as an investor, you buy yourself, a, let's say a million dollar worth of watches or 500 grand or 100 grand or 10 grand, whatever you want. And little by little, you build a collection that retains its value. And over time, some of these watches increase in value, depending on which ones they are, they increase more or less. But in other cases, if you want to create wealth through watches, there's also an incredible opportunity to actually buy watches and resell them on the secondary markets, in many cases for two to 300% of their value within moments after buying them. And it comes down to a carefully curated strategy that I share in my academy on not only how to attain these watches without being a professional buyer or spending millions of dollars, but also how to select which watches you want to attain so that over time as you buy them and, and try to sell them, you're doing a better job of selecting the right models that are going to bring the right premium. You know, like we know that these watches were like 38 grand when they came out, the John Mayer Daytonas. Yeah. They're currently trading wholesale for 70 and on retail sites for like 110, 120. And if yeah. you use that example alone, you can either be the guy that buys it at 38 grand and sells it for 70 grand quick to a wholesaler, make your money like that. And you're like, I doubled my money in one day. Great. Or B, you can be the guy to say, hey, retail is like over 100K. I'm just going to hold this watch for a little bit. I'm going to wear it a couple of times, but I'm going to hold it for two, three years. And then the market will catch up to our retail and I'll eventually sell it for 100 grand. But I want to collect it. So now you tripled your money. Right. So, you know, there's an opportunity to make quick money. There's also an opportunity to hold and make long term money, all of which are just a choice of how you spend your money. Um. Is, yeah, it's absolutely uh, fascinating stuff. Is there uh, is there other things besides uh, cars and watches that you've you've uh, you've used the same kind of methodology on? Yeah, so I'm also a financier in art. This is the other part that I I found to be very valuable. Now, for art, it's very different. I don't buy art for my house. Like I buy art for my house, I'll increase in value. But I'm also not buying art in the pretext of like flipping it or moving it. It's more of a storage of wealth, just like your buddy was saying about his vintage couch, you know, like mm -hmm. something unique that was different that will always have value. Uh, I look at it that way for my home. But on the other side, there's also huge opportunities to basically finance artists as they bring collections forward to art galleries and art galleries won't carry the, the paper, basically. And there's ways to basically get involved in the art space and, and make anywhere from 10 to 20 percent every six months on your money just by floating these galleries for the dollar investment they need to basically make purchases of art. I would say that in the space of art, I look at it in the what I call the third axis, which first I look at cars because you're going to own a car anyways. Secondly, a leisure is watches because it's an income creator and also uh, disposary extra income that you're not going to like in case of a total failure of a financial crisis, 
your watch is going to go first, your car next, your house last, right? Yeah. Like that's just yeah. the order. Like you're not going to dump your house first, live in your car and yeah. like be like, I'm like, yeah, I'm attached to this watch forever. Like fuck the watch, you know, the car comes later. And then eventually you're like, okay, the house has to go if it has to go, but otherwise we're going to save that. Yeah. And historically that's because of how you believe that, you know, each asset is going to hold stronger. So you're going to hold yeah. your better basket and say, Hey, this basket can't collapse, but also because you need a place to live. Right. And that no matter what, you need a place to stay and you don't have to drive Ferrari. You want to drive Ferrari. Right. You don't have to wear a Rolex. You want a Rolex. So your wants go before your needs. But the way I look at art is, is it would be the first thing to go. So the way I look at those type of things is these ultra luxuries, I wouldn't recommend getting into until you have a substantial amount of disposable cash and have already made your investments, your alternative asset investments. You already have your cash flow in check. And then go, hey, you know what? I'm going to buy art for my house anyway. So instead of buying trash from the local gallery that has stuff that's yeah. overpriced like 80%, I'm just going to go and find artists that perhaps are going to bring a higher premium. And I'm going to work with real art dealers that sell art that has a real long-term value, not just it's cool. It looks nice on my wall. You know? Are there any, um, you know, we, we when this show we talk, particularly because we're in real estate, um, about tax implications. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that when it comes to capital gains on, you know, watches, art? I mean, uh, collectibles are the, the uh, are, profits are taxed at a pretty high rate, aren't they? Or is there a way to kind of... Of course. I mean, in a, in a typical way, if you're a normal person that just is going to collect things, yes. But I always encourage and break down for people in my uh, courses specifically how to set up an LLC or sure. a corporation so that you're in that business. So it's taxed as Got business it. income uh, yeah. rather than collectible income. Now, I, I will also state that I think one good thing to understand is that there are tax advantages, even in the car side, for example, uh, that people aren't aware of. As an example, we all know that Section 179 is just one mm -hmm. way to write off a truck or something that is of higher weight of over 6,000 pounds. Uh, if it has a gross weight of 6,000 pounds, it can be written off and you can get the full depreciation on year one. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things people may not know is that Bentleys and Rolls Royces, even though they are not trucks per se, weigh over 6,000 pounds. And right? the IRS does not discriminate against the fact that it is not a work truck because sure. their guideline is that it's 6,000 pounds and it meets that criteria. And if something is 6,000 pounds and meets that criteria, then it can be written off the same way. So I would argue that having a $400,000 write-off on a Rolls-Royce is not only a more exciting write-off than a work yeah. truck or having 12 trucks in your home for no reason, but also something that you wanted to do anyways. So yeah. now your go-to-work car is a, a Rolls Royce two door yeah. or convertible, whatever you want it to be, yeah. but it's over 6,000 pounds and it qualifies for the same type of depreciation that your section 179 would, would account for. Yeah. And I um, actually did that with my G wagon at the end of last year. Although, exactly, yeah. you know, I, I'm curious though, like one of the things I found, um, you know, where, where are we at in the economy right now and how does that affect, you know, the playing field that you're on? Um, when I bought my G wagon, um, it's, I, I couldn't get a new one. There was nothing available. And I bought mm -hmm. one that was about 18 months old and I paid probably, I paid $50,000 over sticker for this, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, what's the current environment? I, I mean, I, it seems to be favorable for sellers at this point, or do you feel like, you know what, it's, 
you know, you've seen this before and, and there's a way to continue to profit or at least not lose money right now. So, so the, the idea of a recession incoming and how does it affect luxury assets? So yeah. first off, the recession we're going into is going to be very different from the one we've seen in 2008. So that's yeah. something very big to differentiate. So the, the two completely different games, right? Mm-hmm. Secondly, I think there's one very big piece uh, of the pie here to understand is that in 2020, when we went into a mini recession right before COVID, when states were closing down, I told everybody, buy real estate, buy cars, buy watches. Everybody Mm -hmm. said, are you out of your mind? Even my dealer buddies who had been in business 10 plus years looked at me and said, you're crazy. You got to be out of your mind. Like everything's going to be on discount the next three months. We're going to buy stuff. They're cheap. And I said, buy it right before they close down. So I took a crazy like multi-million dollar bet in a bunch of assets. Mm. They said I was out of my mind. They were going to buy those for me really cheap. Country reopened six months later. I basically sold the same assets to the same guys for 50 to 70% higher than what I basically had mm, paid for them. Yeah. So jokes on them, right? Yeah. But what did happen in that time, something really interesting happened. Manufacturers like, like car dealers and watch manufacturers, right? The guys that build this stuff, not the guys that sell it at the local dealership, but the guys that manufacture it. Yeah. They came up with this idea that they were going to change their business model entirely in America, because there was one thing that was causing depreciation heavily in America for cars. And that was that this was the only country in the world where cars would sit on lots because dealers would like order them because Americans didn't like waiting for cars. So they would walk in the dealership and be like, what G wagon do you have there? I have three to choose from. Which color do you want? Okay. I wanted a black one. Well, maybe I don't have one in this store. I'll find one for you. We have one in another store. Like they ordered cars and they sat here nowhere else in, in the world did manufacturers allow this? Everything was made to order. You yeah. want a G-Wagon? Order yeah. it, wait six months, it'll come. And we'll sell it to you at MSRP and you'll enjoy it. This model shift, because supply was going to get strained, they blamed COVID to switch their entire business model in America. And they realized two things. By doing that, they maximized their profit, not mm-hmm. the dealerships. And they realized that they literally cut their costs because they didn't have to furnish these dealers with a ton of crap to sit on their lots that would get discounted later. When the dealer lost this power to discount product at a heavy dollar, it stabilized the depreciation schedule of other cars. One, it made used cars more valuable because people said, well, I don't want to wait six months. Cool. Pay a premium. 50K over sticker. You can have it right now. You don't have to wait six months and order one. So someone said, well, great. So, but something interesting happened then. I called it too, because in 21, people told me, should I buy G-Wagons? Should I buy Lamborghini Urses? Should I buy some of these cars? Because they're asking me for 100 over, 200 over. I don't know if I should do it. Is it going to stay this way? What's going to happen? And I said, some of these cars are going to collapse hard. And this is based on the very simple principle that when supply continues to come, you have a 19 G-Wagon, you have the same 20, 21, 22, and 23. Now you have five years of G-Wagon that are going to pile up in the used market. Pricing has to come down. Mm-hmm. Now you have a limited edition McLaren is, is running only, let's say, 500 units over two years. And you're asking me if you should pay 200K over for that. I would argue once those 500 cars are gone, there's no more cars coming. So these cars are valuable until five years later when the next McLaren model is announced. So you have a five-year gap where 200 over may not be a bad deal. You know, it might actually be, okay, the next guy will pay me 200K over. So it doesn't matter if the price is 500, 700, or a million, right. as long as you get the million back, right? It doesn't make right. a difference. Right. So, right. so the argument was not all cars are made equal. 
And over the last two years, people believe they basically figured out my methodology because anything they would buy would be worth more money. You know, they were like, well, I just figured it out. I'll just buy anything. It'll just go up. But now when things started coming down a little bit because liquidity left the market based on what happened over the last six months in the stock market, in the crypto markets and all that, people started realizing like, wait, my car's worth like 70K less. I'm like, yeah, like I told you not to buy that car. <laughs> but but you thought, well, because everything's going up, I'm just going to keep buying up, you know? Right. And, I, and I always say that the real players of a game are defined when the times come down, not oh, when right. the times are up. Because we saw this in 06, right? Everybody was a mortgage expert. Strippers were selling loans, right? And they were like, I'm out. Like, I'm this is my new job and I'm a yeah. loan originator. And I'm like, in three months, you're going to basically be out of business. Like once everything collapses, realtors who were nurses the day before are not realtors. They're just nurses. They should have stayed nursing, yeah, but they just that's right. chose to do this because they thought they could make money. Um, this, uh, this stuff is actually, you know, this is really fascinating stuff. And I want to make sure we, um, and I'm personally signed up for the, the exotic cars, but I'm thinking about signing up for your watches one too. Uh, tell us how, tell everyone how they can get involved. If they want to check out some of your stuff and the different things they can check out just as a reminder. So I, I have all my, I teach a lot of things. My main teaching comes around my three books on human consciousness. And I have my platforms like Exotic Car Hacks. And I also have my platform like Watch Trading Academy. You can learn on all of that just by going from to learnfrompj.com. It's a really simple site where I have everything laid out for you. And you can pick your poison. That you want to learn how to basically get through cars or that you want to make money with watches or that you want to uh, establish better business skills. Doesn't make a difference. All of them are available right on that page. Cool, man. Well, thank you so much for joining us uh, on Wealth Formula Podcast today. I appreciate you having me on. And best of luck to everybody. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I want to start by saying I think what PJ is doing is really cool. I did sign up for his exotic car platform, and I actually haven't started it yet. But I've got some guys in our group, actually, who are, you know, some of his following some of his stuff and they are really enjoying it and actually kind of living it. So listen, at the end of the day, PJ's got an online business. There's going to be a lot of sales involved. So if you get involved, just be aware of that. I don't, you know, I don't benefit from any of it. I just think it's kind of a really cool concept. And, you know, personally, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to digging in on the, on the cars and, and, and watches myself. So anyway, if it makes sense, go ahead and check out his platforms one last thing I do want to remind you, if I have not reminded you recently, <laughs> this event that's coming up, the Wealth Formula Meetup in Dallas, October 7th and 8th. And I really would love to see you there. This is going to be really cool. It's personal finance, but also health, longevity, that kind of thing. Uh, go to wealthformulaevents.com. That's events with an S. And hopefully I will see you there. That's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time.